This is The Redemptive Edge from Praxis, Season 2, our stripped-down coronavirus edition where we talk with members of our community about how entrepreneurs can respond creatively and redemptively to the crisis that we are all in. And today, I'm Andy Crouch, uh, partner for Theology and Culture. On the first episode, I was interviewed, in a way, by Dave Blanchard, our co-founder and CEO. But today, I'm back in the interviewer seat, talking with one of our venture partners, Donna Harris. Uh, Donna has been an incredibly valuable member of the Praxis community and a mentor uh, to many of our programs. She has a long track record in entrepreneurial leadership. Uh, She was managing director of the Startup America Partnership uh, during the Obama administration. She was the co-founder of 1776, one of the largest uh, networks of startup incubators in the country, and still runs as managing partner of the 1776 Venture Fund. And she's the founder of Builders and Backers, which we'll talk about a little later uh, in the podcast, because it's a really great model of how we can respond at the local level to uh, the both chronic and acute realities of our time. Um, But Donna, the reason we wanted to talk with you today is um, really begins with a a session you did with some of our guild founders at Praxis on lament and the role of lament in creativity. Uh, So thanks so much for joining us to talk about this because I have been... (laughs) As you know, I've been uh, sharing and teaching this material myself, always always giving you credit for months now. And I think it's time that people heard it from the source. So I'm so uh, glad you could be I'm, part of uh, actually sharing it. I'm glad that we're able to do this today. I'm looking forward to it. So uh, I first heard some of these ideas from you uh, in, I think it was November, maybe long before we imagined the depth of uh, lament we would all be facing. But uh, it was incredibly relevant even then. And so maybe we can start by just talking about how you would define lament and where you where you go to learn about lament and what the elements of lament are. And then we can talk about how that applies to the work of entrepreneurs. Sure. So, I mean, the session in November really came out of our work that we're doing in communities with Praxis and the fact that we can be applying redemptive entrepreneurship to not only create businesses that are positive culture makers, but also can solve some of the big challenges that we face in our communities. And the session, we spent time talking about how we have to be willing to enter into lament, into the brokenness to meet it, not only our own brokenness, but the brokenness in our communities and the people in our communities it, it is the only way that we can genuinely tackle that brokenness. Uh, and, and it is not something that we as modern American Christians are good at or know that it is part of our practice of being a Christian. And so hmm. we spent time talking about how do we stop running from the brokenness because God wants to use it. And if we don't bring that brokenness and our pain over that brokenness and our questions over that brokenness to God and be willing to enter into a place of wrestling with him over it, then we are simply trying to apply our own human actions and our desire to to go and and, and roll up our sleeves and take action Hmm. as opposed to taking action when and how and in the ways God wants us to take action. Hmm. So we spent time talking about that discomfort that we feel, um, why we feel it, and what do we do about it? How do we learn new habits and behaviors and be able to be willing to to tackle the difficult questions of 
truth and love and trust and some of the complicated things that keep us from confronting what's broken around us. I think it's so interesting you say this is the only way uh, to really fully creatively respond to brokenness because I, I, my thought is, well, isn't this what nonprofits do? They step in and solve problems or, you know, seek solutions. And of course you're not saying we shouldn't do that, but I think you're saying that that jumps over a crucial step. Exactly. Look, we're all entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs are people with a desire to act. We see a problem. Hmm. We want to go, we want to go fix it. We see a hill. We want to go take it. Um, And we want to jump when we see when we see brokenness we want to jump right to action and when we repeat passages of scripture where we talk about god uses everything all things for his purpose we jump to meaning making where we are trying to force huh. a purpose or figure out in our own human ways in our own worldly ways what that purpose must be and, and force the action and we skip over really difficult questions of uh, how can brokenness and love coexist? Uh. How, how can I reconcile what I'm seeing with truth, with a God of love, with complicated questions of, you know, what do I what do I do when what I see feels uncomfortable, feels uncomfortable in the light of Scripture. And it gets yeah. to gets to a, a willingness, an act of faith, to be able to and be willing to step into that place with God and know that He is in relationship with us, and we can wrestle these things through with Him, as opposed to putting a salve of everything is wonderful, I'm blessed, God will huh. use it all, um, because oftentimes His solutions are different; they're bigger, they're they're not what we would do in our human, our human, you know, put a business plan together and go take that hill. Um, and it's wow. not to say that that it doesn't coexist with action because it very much does. But it, it also allows us to meet the community where it is, to meet the people who are broken, including ourselves, and legitimately have that authentic conversation with a God who already knows that we're wrestling with these questions. And rather than ignoring them, we're leaning into them in a way that acknowledges that he is the God of, of the scripture, I am, and his character means something to us. Hmm. And we need to, to embrace that and know what that is and be willing to, to sit with the brokenness with him. Hmm. I'm, I'm very struck by this idea that we are tempted to jump to meaning making, <laughs> which could sound like a good thing to do. Like, like, let's figure out what this means, how we can solve it. Um, but when that's done prematurely, uh, it actually is idolatrous in a way. That is, we're making our own God's eye view of the situation. Um, I, and I'm struck that an, a, a pandemic is uh, one of the, the things that's hardest to make meaning from, in a way. Uh, like, the, the many of the really cataclysmic things that happen in human history involve conflict and, like, war. And in war, both sides are constantly telling a story of why we're at war and what the meaning is and what this, what makes this sacrifice worthwhile and why our enemy is worth, it needs to be defeated. It's, it's harder to construct that meaning for a virus, <laughs> this tiny little 
uh, encapsulated piece of RNA, you know, that, uh, I mean, it's an enemy, but it's not, it's so hard to tell the, the right story. Right. And I think yeah. part of what you're saying is in all situations, and this would include situations like actual conflict and, and war, the, the human desire to just jump to the meaning um, without wrestling with God and with what God intends at a moment like this is is actually the root of more evil, potentially. Is that stating it too strongly? or No, I think that that's stating it really well. When we think about lament, it's critical in two ways. One is that it's critical for us in our own lives, in our own callings, in our own relationships, and in this moment, mm. in our own reality, that many of us are struggling to stay healthy. Some of us are struggling to keep our jobs or our businesses afloat or to help others keep their businesses afloat. And this pandemic has moved from being something out there that I read about to something that's in my own community to something that is impacting me personally. And there aren't easy answers and it doesn't feel good. And we see us trying to make you know, I myself am a person of action. That's why we launched Be a Neighbor campaign. And we're trying to get people out volunteering and serving, not necessarily out physically. Uh, yeah. But I also know that I have to spend the time bringing the pain that I see to God rather than stuffing it down or ignoring it or moving past it. And that's where yeah. it gets to the second part, which is the outward meeting of the community. If we, yeah. if we think about where we are in this moment in time, this pandemic is meeting us at a time when our communities are profoundly broken, when our families are profoundly oh. broken. We're struggling with everything from the the last great recession and the, the housing crisis and globalization, the automation, job losses. We've got opioid crisis, loneliness epidemics. I mean, huh. everywhere you turn, there's a symptom of brokenness. And now- for many people and for many communities, this is the proverbial straw that is seriously breaking the camel's back. And if we move past the feelings that they are feeling, we aren't hearing and acknowledging their pain. And mm. it, it, they, people want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to know they are loved. And we injure mm. each other when we don't sit and acknowledge it and receive it and sit uncomfortably with it. So being able to find the brokenness in ourselves and being willing to sit with the brokenness in others and then turn to our God and faith and ask, why? What do I do with it? How do I mm. process it? How does this reconcile? Open your word to me. Show me how to make meaning. Mm. That's where the meaning making comes to full fruit, as opposed to skipping right over the brokenness and missing that moment where the community and, and those that we are called to love need us to love them this way in this moment. Yeah. Wow. You had us actually write um, laments, or at least you invited and made time for us to actually write laments. And I did write one, uh, which I have on my desk. I've been reading it aloud. Uh, 
as I'm working on a new book, every day I sit down to write on my new book, I read the lament I wrote, uh, I wrote with you. <laughs> Can you talk us through what the elements are that, that, uh, you would encourage people, um, you know, potentially by, by sitting down and writing, that's one way to sort of slow down and, and, and really pay attention to it. What would you have people write out if, if they were to kind of engage in a practice of lament? There's a structure. If you look at the Psalms of lament, you look at scripture, there's a pattern that we can follow. So it starts with crying out and addressing God, just crying out, out to him and bringing our complaint, our pain, our sadness, the heartache that is there, but doing it with an affirmation of trust. So moving from complaint to remembering God's presence in times past, praising him for moments when he has been faithful and trustworthy. And then through that affirmation, bringing the request, bringing your desire to him the thing that you are broken over and want him to intervene in and, and meet you in. Hmm. And, and that's not the, just the surface level complaint. It's, it's oftentimes, you know, I, I think we phrased it as sort of bring the additional argument, anything else that you want to yes. sort of pile on, yes. um, including raging against your enemies. I mean, God knows these are in your heart. He wants you to pour these things out. Um, huh. But then, offering an assurance that you know you're being heard, right? So we're returning again to him and 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 acknowledging, um, you know, what is it that you need to be heard on and being assured that you are being heard. And then just the praise, the, the promise to offer the praise to God in the moment of when that thing that you are lamenting over is met, the praise that is there with him. And the assurance that that you're thankful for in the moment, things that you are actually grateful for in that moment. And the pattern involves both the offering of the pain and the acknowledgement of his sovereignty and his omnipotence right. and his power and our trust in him, in this very painful thing that we're bringing to him. And then sitting quietly with it and sitting quietly with him hmm. And listening to that small, still voice and looking for the moments and the opportunities and the doors to open around the ways we can make meaning and the ways we can move forward and the ways he will use us in actually meeting that pain and tackling that problem or loving our neighbor or solving that problem. Hmm. There's several things that you're holding together in this pattern that have been so helpful to me personally. Uh, and, and as I said, we're long before the coronavirus hit. And one is um, enfolding the complaint and the tension and uh, dissonance in enfolding that with trust <laughs> is really striking. Um, and then I love what you uh, include this idea of additional argument, which was one of the like bullet points in your description of what we should write out. And, and the psalmists do that. They're like, oh yes, God. And also if you don't act, you know, like not only will we die, but your name is going to be profaned among the nations. Haven't you noticed okay. You know, whatever, like they're, they're very good. At, I, I just love the additional argument part. And, and then the, the invitation to even to rage, um, which so to, to, I don't know, fullness of emotion or even excess of emotion, like the, the, the outpouring maybe of emotion that we have um, at a world that allows things like this to happen. 
and that that is part of the of the process with God. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think what you just said really struck me that having poured all this out, also having this component of stillness. So once we've done the whole thing and offered both our complaint and our affirmation of trust, both our rage and our promise to be faithful to God and trust God, that then there's this moment of quiet uh, that also is part of the practice in a way. Um, and it just seems very powerful to hold all this together. Um, and and so, hardest often to do in our <laughs> time of busyness and particularly right. now as we are all throwing out our limits on screen times and digital devices and whatnot. Um, There are no shortage of memes and video chats and conversations that can distract us. So having the discipline and, you know, the, the structures in our own lives to make ourselves take that time. I keep talking about sort of making ourselves, forcing ourselves to enter into lament. It has to be purposeful because it's not, Huh. It's not our it's not our our default. Right, right. Wow. That's very, very good. And your premise, um, to kind of recall the context of this, is that this is actually where genuine creative action begins. Uh in other words, this is not an alternative to uh acting and even perhaps taking that hill in some way. Um it's actually the the essential preparation. Is that right? right? And how does that work? Like what happens next after you've you've done this? Well, I mean, fundamentally, if we don't do it, we're in essence saying evil is here to be suffered and lived with as opposed to evil and injustice and hardship and brokenness is an enemy to be attacked. And God and we are partners in doing that. Um, that's an extraordinarily strong statement of faith to, huh. and requires us to do the rest, kind of wrestling that you see our heroes of the Old Testament doing. Um, but if we're actually going to take the direction for serving and solving to tackle the brokenness in our communities, we have to start from the hypothesis that evil and injustice can be attacked. Mm. And if we don't enter into lament, we're in essence starting with the wrong hypothesis to begin with. Uh, And then we have to be willing to get up close with the problem to truly do discovery around the problem. And when we're looking at our communities, these are very personal things that are broken in our community. We're talking about, about, people's emotions and their lives and difficult things like opioid addictions and loneliness and suicide epidemics and historical racism and the schisms that we are experiencing between blue and red and young and old and every aspect of society. You can't, you can't solve those things by keeping arm's length. We have to understand what is beneath the surface and why and how in order to begin to pose even the right questions um, to then look through the right set of hypotheses to begin solving. This is so helpful. And and I want to spend then just a, a minute or two on a really helpful framework that you have um, that you alluded to that 
that helps us start to imagine kind of the dimensions of creative or generative action. And it, it's this uh, kind of combination of serving and solving, mm-hmm. uh, which I find so interesting. It's kind of one of the, I think one of the foundational ideas behind builders and backers. Um, can you talk about that? Like how these two things work together? And, and then I think one of your insights is often they've been completely uh, compartmentalized when in mm-hmm. fact they need to go together That's in, right. in a way we don't usually do. That's right. I, I've spent the last three years really getting up close and looking at why some of our communities are flourishing or and others seem not to be and unpacking why and, and what we do about that. And one of the things that really struck me was we think about the problems that exist in our communities. We have not-for-profits and churches and schools and community organizations that are trying to meet the need uh, and we are we as individuals are being asked to play a role of volunteer or donor. Uh, and so if we imagine it sort of in a matrix, that would be passive serving in the lower left, right? We're, we're serving. Uh, we aren't oh. actually solving the need. And the world that I come from, entrepreneurship, uh, very much is active solving. So huh. it would be in the upper right quadrant of a four-quadrant matrix of huh. And so if we think about how do we actually create flourishing communities, I was struck by the fact that these two worlds of serving and solving don't actually work together very often. And as a believer, as as a person of faith, and I, I spend time with my church and spend time in the activities with my church, very little of what I was seeing in the faith community fell into the solving bucket. Right. Right? Yeah, We've all been on our missions trips. In fact, my first really face-to-face encounter with brokenness and lament was on a missions trip in mm. Haiti. And I met a little boy who is my son's age now, who couldn't be more than you know eight or nine or 10. And he lived in City Soleil, Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and mm. had no clothes and no money and clearly was extraordinarily impoverished. And I was broken by that because here we were on a missions trip feeling good about painting the church and spending time with the kids and doing wonderful, wonderful activities, but I wasn't fixing what was causing the brokenness. And when I left, I had to leave him in the garbage dump, living in the sewage with absolutely no ability to understand or change the conditions that he lived in and serving wouldn't do that. And that put me on the journey all these years later to really think about this as if we can marry serving and solving, and we can look at it through both the passive and active lenses, all of these roles from being a volunteer, a donor, a helper, a giver, an advocate, an investor, an entrepreneur, they all are part of the same landscape that we all have gifts to offer to help bring flourishing and to solve the brokenness around us, but it all has to fit together and all of our gifts have to fit into one framework for doing that. And we of all people, the believers, particularly believers who are entrepreneurs, we're extraordinarily equipped to help lead people to understand that these two worlds really belong together. Wow. That's very, very helpful. One very concrete way you're doing that right now um, 
as you lament and try to discern uh, exactly what you can can do at this moment, um, is working with one of our uh, Accelerator alumni, uh, Rob Peabody uh, of Vomo, on a project called "Be a Neighbor," and maybe you could talk about how that's working and uh, and. Uh, maybe a little bit of like even the backstory of what you were doing before, but how in, in the, this moment of crisis, you found a way to deploy his technology and, and his team in a, in a new way. Now, Rob and I met uh, almost a year and a half ago now at a, the Praxis Business Accelerator. I was one of the mentors talking with him and, and immediately we connected on this concept that we were actually trying to tackle the same challenge which is the brokenness in our communities. But he was coming at it from sort of lower left, serving, volunteering, and I was coming at it from upper right, active solving. But we were trying to do the same thing, in essence, uh, solve the same problem. And that led to a year and a half of just continual conversation. I ended up investing in his business and joining the board. And we were working on how the platform that they have created can play a role in helping meld serving and solving together in communities and the work that we're doing with builders and backers to teach communities how to do this well. And we then experienced COVID-19 and I saw the flurry of Google docs and listservs and people trying to figure out how do they know who needs prescriptions picked up and how to help their neighbors and starting to really want to play a role in serving and Rob and I immediately got on the phone and said, we have the thing that the world needs to help yeah. mobilize this. Uh, are, we're in a position to provide that. How do we do that without tanking the company? Uh, and right. Right, so, so there was definitely some prayer and some conversation around that. <laughs> but that led to be a neighbor campaign where for um, any not-for-profit any church, any government entity that is on the front lines and sees the needs that need to be solved in, the, in their communities, they can use the, B, the BOMO software through BeAneighborCampaign.com, use it free to put their need out that they need volunteers for, and any volunteer in the world can use the platform to sign up and serve or solve. And hmm. I say it that way because the kinds of projects that are in there are things like food banks need food and donations, and we have animal shelters that need foster homes for dogs and cats and everything in between. But we also have healthcare systems who cannot deliver telehealth because they don't have enough webcams, and someone has to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. And we have mm -hmm. significant challenges in our supply chain and we need entrepreneurial thinkers to present alternative ideas. Um, these are all mm. quote unquote mm. opportunities to serve. Um, and you know, I increasingly are, I'm thinking about them as moments of grace. This, this pandemic needs millions of moments of grace and we all can participate in providing them even without leaving home. So um, we're now, freely offering this platform worldwide to anyone, not just organizations, but individuals. If you want to use it for your neighborhood to hmm. raise the need and have people click a button and say, I can meet that need, um, you can do that. And then we also have, if you look at the site, there is a place for somebody, if they have a need 
and they don't know how to get that need met, they can click that button and we are taking on the responsibility to help find a solution for that. Whether that's through existing not-for-profits and churches on the ground in communities, which we hope that will be, but also directly ourselves if need be. But somebody has to stand in the gap for the kind of of struggle that is emerging as many of our not-for-profits and church communities really grapple to get their arms around what this crisis means for them and for their for their communities and their members. Hmm. Wow. I love that you're doing this. I love that you had the relationship and the investment, literal uh, financial as well as personal, that kind of set up the possibility of of first lamenting <laughs> and then sitting and listening and imagining and uh, and then quickly creating something that can help people replicate in a way that process uh, wherever they are. So it's kind of a picture of what I think uh, we hope we're here for at Praxis and, and what, as you said, needs to happen in a way millions of times uh, uh, over and over um, in the coming days and months. Yes. So Donna, thank you so much for walking us through this and helping us imagine uh, what it is to be people of lament and uh, creative hope at, at a moment like this. Thank Thanks, you Andy. very, very much.